Live from the Smooth 88.1 studios on the campus of Hampton University, it's time for Black Wall Street Today. Black Wall Street Today. The premier media hub for black businesses, related politics, news, growth strategies, and events. Black Wall Street Today explores entrepreneurship opportunities for economic development while highlighting business owners, trendsetters, and community leaders. Wouldn't you like to be a guest on Black Wall Street today with Blair Durham? Well, the link is in the show notes. And now, here's your host, Blair Durham. Greetings, greetings. Stay locked in. Very excited to share with you all. We have a phenomenal guest today. Joining us now is Dr. Kenya Nuru-Dennis. She's an activist, sociologist, and criminologist, as well as an educator and researcher specializing in demographic and cultural variance, inclusion, and equity in every aspect of community resources, K-12 schools and colleges and universities, medical and health organizations and facilities, and reducing police court penal system. As founder of 365 Diversity LLC, Dr. Dennis provides results-based programs, evaluations, and assessments for local, national, and international national schools, businesses, and organizations that are ready to go beyond introductory trainings and make measurable and lasting changes. Dr. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. Uh, This is something that, obviously, the times that we're living in, the heightened focus on DE&I, I know that folks are looking to you like never before for the kind of guidance and instruction that you're providing. Would you say you found that to be true, particularly over the last year and a half or so? I wish that was true. So this is five centuries. All right. So I want black people and indigenous people in particular to not follow this trendy thing where people are acting like they're just recognizing problems because of Donald Trump, just recognizing problems because of George Floyd. It's the same thing over and over again for centuries. And so when people contact me, a lot of times they're just doing the same thing that they're doing when they release an official statement for schools and businesses and organizations. The same thing that happens when you make Juneteenth a federal holiday. It's centuries of, okay, Black people, shut up now. So I do results-based work, which is I'm not here to just smile and say, good job. I'm here to say we're changing some policies, practices. We're doing annual assessments. I'm here (laughs) to hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. And most places, most K through 12, most colleges, universities, most businesses. That's why I tell people when you criticize the White House and all that stuff, realize what's happening right in front of your face when you go to work every day, when you go to school. Like these are not abstract injustices. It's not just these politicians doing it. It's literally happening every day around you. And so I want people to just be more conscious beyond voting, of course, and actually say we're actually going to challenge this space that we're in every day and not wait for some politician to come change it all. Couldn't agree with you more. My husband and I were just having that conversation last night, particularly around Juneteenth um, and the idea that, you know, it, it, it literally means nothing. Um, and I'm with you, you know, the piece about going beyond introductory trainings. Uh, one thing that I found interesting is uh, a number of folks that look like us taking DE&I courses. Um, 
as, as you mentioned, you know, as a part of this, this trend, which I'm like, oh, well, we need to, we need to get certified. Um, but in actual, in actuality, this is about the undoing of systems of oppression, right? That um, have ultimately worked for five centuries, as you indicated, against us. Talking about, the, go ahead. I was sorry, I was just going to say real quickly, if we're talking about Black people who are, I don't believe in DEI certifications and things like that. I think that those are just distractions from real changes. But for Black people who are looking at learning more about racial equity, I think that's a good idea because for, for more than four centuries, most Black people have been taught all their life that there's no knowledge unless it's European white knowledge. So that's literally what they learn in K through 12, even doctoral programs, medical school programs. They come from it believing, because that's what they're taught all their life, that white people either created and discovered the important things in the world for tens of thousands of years, even though whiteness mm-hmm. has only existed for five centuries, or that white people are the main developers. And so even I, as a, as a professor who taught race and ethnic relations courses for 10 years, I had black students in the age of 40s and 50s who really didn't understand anything about blackness they really could just repeat what they were taught K through 12. And so I do community work for our people to teach, to dismantle what they were brainwashed to believe K through 12, even if they went to college and so forth. So I work on that as well. And if we're talking about LGBTQIA work, which includes black LGBTQIA disability services, those classes are very important because most societies are very ableist. They, they're, they believe there's a sense of normal. And I tell people there's no such thing as normal based on what a lot of people have been taught. Most people have a mental health condition. They're hearing voices. They might say it's um, a religion perspective, like Jesus talking to them or Allah talking to them, but it might be schizophrenia. So there are many lessons that people can learn throughout this whole process. Mm. I love it. I need to ask, how do you handle um, the difficult balance of community outreach um, in terms of working with underserved, underserved groups um, that may be controlled by these, these white power structures? Yeah, so they're definitely controlled. And so the work that I do first and foremost as an activist with our communities, black communities, which includes black LGBTQIA, black elderly, black youth, black people with different health conditions. It's always difficult because most black people, again, have been taught that white people are the creators of knowledge, the owners of knowledge. Even when looking at black schools, it's controlled by white people's accreditation, politicians, Most of the textbooks are white people, publishers are white people. So when I do community work, whether that's when I lived in North Carolina, I still, I now live in Baltimore, but I'm from Richmond, Virginia. So no matter where I do this, yeah. So no matter where I do this work locally and nationally and also internationally, it's the same issue. When we speak with our people, there's oftentimes a difficulty because it takes a lot to challenge what people have been told is factual all their lives. and. Despite us coming from tens of thousands 
of years of knowledge from the continent of Africa and our people around the world. You know, we have history, we have mathematics, sciences, arts, literatures, research, everything for people of African descent. But a lot of our people were not taught that. So they don't know that, which includes when we talk about medicine and health. And so that's difficult because a lot of times when our people want to become more aware of our cultures, that's where sometimes forms of extremism can come in, because that's the case for any group of underserved people. When people know you're underserved, they come at you with extreme perspectives that are not based on fact, but they're based on your desperation to find the truth. And unfortunately, there's a lot of research that includes the financial implications of that. Black people and non-white Hispanics have very high rates of being victimized in terms of financially. These are con artists, including our own people who come into these spaces, including religious leaders who come into these spaces and they say, do you want to be rescued from oppression? Do you want to be rescued from these horrible bank loans that don't reach our people? That kind of thing. And that often leads to financial disaster for people in our community because there's a reason why cities are intentionally designed to have a lot of liquor stores and a whole lot of stuff, corner markets, but not really good financial access that's intentionally designed that way. And so scammers know that. They know that you're looking for a quick and loan, that kind of thing. And they know that most people are desperate and they won't read the details. So when I do community work, I explain all of that. But we also have to talk about realistic expectations because many of our people are desperate. So instead of going in and preaching about change, you have to say, here are people who are going to work with you every day so that the change doesn't happen. That doesn't have to be quick. To take yeah. I want to ask you about two sets of outcomes, um, starting with more so the community work. So when you are helping people to come into the knowledge of who they are, right? What kinds of changes does that help them to make? Um, what, what are the outcomes that you're seeing with the community? So first and foremost, my work is 100% collaborative. So I always collaborate with other organizations. I always tell black people in particular that none of us are creating something brand new. We come from centuries on the Western hemisphere of our people who've really been trying to help our people, right? So we got to collaborate organizations, black organizations and black businesses and black, black schools. So one thing that I do is when I go into these spaces, I'm just a listener. I tell people never go into these spaces lecturing and preaching. It's one thing if you're doing a presentation, but even the presentation should be short because our people have a real legitimate reason to be skeptical. We're already skeptical of white people. That's five centuries, including medical racism, scientific racism. But we're skeptical of our own people because many of our own people have profited from abusing our people in some way. It could include scammers, like I said previously, or it could include Black people who are employed in, by white employers and pretend that they're coming into Black communities to help. And they come in and they just throw around handouts and flyers. And they got a big old grant to do that, right? You got a lot of funding just to come into your own people's community to pass out handouts and say, all right, y'all, good luck. That's extremely condescending and insulting to our people's intelligence and our people's work. 
And so one thing I always do is I come and I listen. The difficulty, of course, again, when we talk about learned behavior, because most of this is learned behavior, we're taught to be very defensive. In one way, we're taught to expect the worst from society and from white people in particular, because we have evidence to support that, expecting the worst notion. But we're also sometimes taught to to depend on politicians, depend on the government. We can think about that in terms of social welfare programs. You can even think about that in terms of Juneteenth. I keep telling black people, stop thanking Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln did not do this for the love of black people. He did not care if he went back to Africa or died. It was not for you to advance. And so, so that's another of the complexity is getting our people to understand that we do come from a group of people who know how to do things on our own while also holding other people accountable. So that's the whole thing of multitasking. Another issue is that most of our people are not familiar with tens of thousands of years of billions of cultures from the African continent and around the world. So a lot of things our people still believe were created by white people and introduced by white people, including issues like mental illness. So unfortunately, we still have black people who believe that suicide, mental illness were created by white people. They didn't exist in the continent of Africa. And so that's another example of an extreme belief in which we're so pulled away from our founding that we sometimes have to pretend that the continent of Africa place. And I do see images a lot of times where there are black people, this huge continent, the largest continent, and the whole entire world, they really think that we were all kind of chilling on this open land and just hugging each other around flowers. Like these are the images that we create. And that includes like Negro spirituals. That's all created to increase the positive images that we have. Same thing happens. We talk about all of us coming from kings and queens. Most of us do not come from kings and queens. Right. And that's good. That's OK. Right. But that's the difficulty as well. It's helping our people understand that we can love our heritage, love our people and improve our people without going based on falsehoods of the origins of our people and the meaning of our people. Okay. Can I challenge you just for a second? Of course. (laughs) In that I really wanted to understand um, outcome, right? All of this sounds great. You know, but what is this information, this liberation helping people to do? Is it that they are now starting businesses? Are they sharing this information with others? Are they going to get their mental health issues checked out and resolved? Um, What would you say is the quantifiable change? that is taking place when people come into this level of consciousness. And I'm asking this because there's a huge consciousness movement, you know? Everybody's got a piece that they're, that they're believing is going to help advance our culture. And I'm just curious to know, you know, to what, to what end? Because I know you've got, you know, all this experience in this space. I just want to know. What are you seeing? Yeah, so I want us to stop saying movement because when you use the word movement, it's like it's coming and going. So we want to, like civil rights movement, that's not a movement, that's forever. That's 
that's for the rest of the existence of Earth. And so the outcome really depends on the program. So if we're Mm -hmm. talking about doing presentations to talk about financial balance, we're teaching about what it means to have a credit union and get an equity line of credit. So the outcome for that would be the Black people who do this financial work, they will actually help people in communities open a line of credit, telling people not to use your credit card, not even use your debit card, especially if you're in a community that's a food apartheid where all you really have are liquor stores and corner stores. Also Mm -hmm. addressing issues like public transportation. So that's, of course, where challenging the city and state comes in. So it really depends Mm -hmm. on the focus. So when I do mental health and physical health work, that is about getting health professionals trained from the moment they declare themselves interested in health work and undergrad throughout the career certifications, credits and trainings, understanding how to reach our people for health work. And this includes black mental health and black physical health professionals, because we oftentimes take for granted that black people who do this work know how to reach our people. And unfortunately, I've done years of this training. Unfortunately, most black mental health and physical health professionals specialize in memorizing textbooks from white people, memorizing the diagnostical statistical manual, which addresses diagnoses for mental illness, which is not completely accurate, but they keep using it. It's 100% based on, of course, this white standard of what normal versus mental illness is. And so it includes teaching our people how to reach our people. So if, if, for example, I have a black mental health table at a community event, the idea there is not only for our people to pick up flyers, but I'll have one that says stress management. So a lot of our people do not want to see something that says mental health or mental illness on it. But if you put something that says stress, that oftentimes has a different meaning to a lot of our people. A lot of our people will start to say, yeah, I can I can understand the stress thing because that doesn't feel as uncomfortable as talking about mental illness. So I also Mm -hmm. get people's names and I say, well, now let's connect you to mental health professionals in this city who actually not just do work, but they actually do work to specifically reach our people, which includes holistic health. So they're not just going to see you as a black person and say, let's get you on a prescription drug because that's that billion dollar pharmaceutical industry. We actually want mental health professionals who know how to have conversations and say, you know what? You're using marijuana as a disguise for your schizophrenia because that's very common as well. For many black people who hear voices, they get high literally all day from the moment they wake up to when they go to sleep because being high can disguise the hearing of the voices that they've heard sometimes for decades. And so the idea is to connect people to that as well. If you just tuned in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today talking with Dr. Kenya Nuru uh, Dennis. She's the founder of 365 Diversity LLC, and we're having a fascinating conversation about our community and the work that she does um, around not just diversity, equity, inclusion, but um, community outreach as well. So I've got to ask the question about outcomes in terms of the DE&I work. Uh, I know we talked about annual assessments and things like that. We've got about three minutes remaining. I would love to hear um, what have been some of the outcomes there when you've worked with white businesses, white schools, white corporations um, to help them not just develop language around DE&I, 
but to to make uh, to make policy change. Yeah, so if they're looking at racial equity specifically, the outcome for most of these schools and businesses and organizations is that they really really that they are not as ready as they thought they were. And this includes if they had a black employee contact me. It's very common for places to have their black employees and black staff contact me. And the black employees and black staff are told by the white people and include the white liberals and white progressives, we're ready, let's go for it. Because they've read an anti-racism bestseller book, right? And this is why I always tell people, you've read a book, you know a theory now, a theory that has existed forever, and now you've just discovered it. Action is way more uncomfortable than you reading a book, doing a hashtag on Twitter, and talking about a theory that you really don't understand the history of. When you talk about doing the real work, that's when you really realize whether your school is ready. That's when you really realize whether your organization, your business is ready. Like, even mm-hmm. if you're talking about a local chamber of commerce in your state across the nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They will say that they want to do equity work. And so I tell black people, not every not everyone in the world is going to be an entrepreneur, but maybe you can do a side gig, like get your own Etsy on the black owned Etsy section. I love that section. I look at it every day. Right. Something like that. Right. Right? But here's the thing. When places, including chambers of commerce and business groups, say they want to be more, quote unquote, diverse. We tell them this is going to include some discomfort on your part because diversity is not when you bring in more black people and then it's mostly black people who've accommodated European standards of professionalism and networking come in there speaking a certain way, come in there dressing. I wear my daishikis and everything. Okay. So if you can't handle my dashikis, I used to have an Afro. Now I have locks. If you can't handle that, you truly don't understand racial inclusion, racial equity. What you want is us to look as white as possible and us to talk as white as possible. And even I am lighter melanin. If you want diversity to mean a whole bunch of light-skinned Black people, that's not equity, okay? Because racism mm-hmm. requires colorism as well around the world. And so, so that's the complexity is, is getting people to understand that we're actually really going to change some things and we're actually going to do a follow-up. So when I holler at you in six months or a year, you're going to be honest that the people who said they wanted to change the school curriculum, for example, they just wanted to have a special topics course to change it. Or maybe they right. did want to talk about more indigenous, aboriginal, black, Asian, non-white Hispanic materials, but they wanted it to be either a certain month or they still wanted white people to be the majority of authors. And that's sure. very common, right? So that's the honesty Gosh. that we have to have. We, we could have had a full hour, clearly. <laughs> we are out of time as of now. Uh, just in closing, if you could just share your website and contact information. Um, I appreciate the wealth of knowledge and the work that you're doing. Thank you. Again, it's Dr. Kimia Nerudinis. That's 365diversity.com. And it's Kenya at 365diversity.com. That's the very first thing you will see at the top of the website above the logo. Thank you so much. Continuing the conversation with Dr. Kenya Nerudinis on diversity, equity, and inclusion and training our community to um, understand who they are, understand racism and how it uh, impacts their lives. You know, one of the questions I asked when we first started talking was if 
business was starting to pick up for you um, in recognizing that a number of white corporations have been forced to acknowledge their whiteness and um, do a bit of a deeper dive. And you said, no, not really. Well, yeah, so beginning of COVID, beginning of the George Floyd protests, there was a wonderful collective of people interested but that changes for many reasons, including a lot of people don't really want change and accountability. They really just wanted to say they did it. Now let's get back to business as normal, what they consider normal. Right. And it's yeah. often very much based on how white people feel. And so that's why I tell schools, businesses and organizations, if the deal breaker for you is white people's opinion, then you do not want racial equity, racial justice, just like if we're doing disability services and the people who are of able health are the ones who are mad about that new elevator. Therefore, mm -hmm. your business says, well, maybe we should not spend money in the elevator. That means that you are ableist. You're violating perhaps some codes in your city and county and state. And you overall just don't care about anyone except for the power majority. And that's, of course, people who are able health, white people as it pertains to race. And so this is just something that I told people when people got excited at the, about the George Floyd protests and white people's visibility in some of the protests, including in state of Washington. I told black people we have centuries of sometimes being too easily impressed by just bare minimum. And therefore, that's why a lot of times many white people don't do anything because they know that all they have to do is show up one time and you're handing them an ally button instead of mm -hmm. saying, OK, this is one thing. What are we going to do to collaborate to make some real changes? And so that's where this all comes in as well. It's definitely interesting, particularly in the, the nonprofit space, right, um, where I work dollars are flowing in as it relates to equity work, diversity and education, diversity and equity. I can't even get it out. That's how much I hate saying it. Diversity, equity and inclusion work, um, funding for, for black led and black facing organizations. Um, and I wonder about, because one of the questions that, you know, is always posed on the grant application is around sustainability. Right. And so if the sustainability of my work is a function of whether government, philanthropic and corporate interest continues, <laughs> then what is what is the real sustainability? Is this going to be something that is ongoing? Um, because as you mentioned, you know, this is not a movement. Civil rights will continue. It, it, it has to continue, right? What, what, are, what is your thought around that? The longevity of the interest in Black-led and Black-facing organizations? Well, that the interest has stopped for places that know that they're going to make revenue regardless. They're going to get accreditation for the school regardless. And this is where us as Black people hold us accountable. White people have no reason to stop doing if we're going to show up for work regardless, if we're going to attend that school regardless, if we're going to go to that medical provider, regardless of how they treat us, they're not going to stop. And that's just how humans have operated for tens of thousands of years. What's the incentive for the power majority, white people as pertains to race, to stop abusing us 
if we're going to be there anyway, just like we talk about the corner store, black folk will say, well, that she was rude to me, but I got to go back to tomorrow to get my cigarette. You're going back to tomorrow regardless. So why should hmm. she have customer service if you're going to spend your money anyway? Like black people spend a lot of money. We pay high taxes. We spend a lot of money, including in food apartheid areas where many of our people are poor. We spend a lot of money still. Why should people have customer service if we're going to be there anyway? And that's just basic when we talk about the whole cost benefit analysis. When we talk about developing businesses. People always say, think about your revenue. Think about your customers. And we talk about GIS coding maps and see where your customers are dwelling. A lot of times, white controlled businesses including if all employees are black, they're still white controlled. They know that they're really most interested in reaching white people with some black people here and there, and they operate accordingly. So I really want black people to understand what it means when we patronize places, regardless of how they mistreat us. And that's just the continuing effect. And it's not easy for us to to stop going to certain schools and so forth. But I I just tell our people boycotting and protesting. It it has to happen or else we can't act baffled and befuddled that this system just keeps going the way it's going. It's making money from you regardless. Like if you're mad that you're, that you're learning white people's version of everything and, but our communities keep sitting there or you keep going to the college and you never send a bad evaluation to the professor who keeps giving you this horrible information. Right. They're not going to stop. I mean, this. You raise a good point though, around our, I guess, consumer behavior, right? Continuing to patronize establishments where we know we're not going to be treated well. And I know that was just a, a micro point to a much larger point that you're making. I think about, for example, <laughs> just the way that whole thing is designed. The first thought that came to mind was economies of scale, right? So we can't even necessarily afford to buy black because black businesses can't afford to buy in bulk, which would drive those prices down so that we could, you know what I mean, participate on an ongoing basis. And then that reminded me of an article that I was reading just last night. Um, CNN did a piece called Here's How to Propel 2 Million Black Americans to Middle Class. And it's obvious what the answer is, right? We got to be able to make the same as our white counterparts. <laughs> Number one, right? Same job. We should be, we, there should not be a, a gap with regard to how we're paid. And then number two, you know, businesses need access to capital. That's just the bottom line. We can get a loan for anything else because it's collateral. Okay, fine. But we should also be able to get loans to scale our to scale our businesses. What, what are your thoughts? First of all, this research <laughs> has been done for more than a century. Including yeah, it's not new. It bothers me when white controlled spaces release those statements. CNN is 100% white controlled. Every single aspect is white controlled. Even when 
uh, people celebrate CNN hosts like Don Lemon for saying some profundity. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. <laughs> you see their arm in arm, right? Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. I just want people to understand that another problem is when we're silent about iniquities until white people, including white liberals, say there's an inequity. Like, Inequities exist, they're everywhere. Sometimes they're not as obvious. So a lot of times people will say, you know, I don't see what the problem is. Why is there so much violence in Baltimore City? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Here's the thing. If you don't research the problems with the schools, how the millions of dollars are put into Baltimore Police Department instead of in schools and community health and workforce development, that's something that doesn't have to come and hit you in the forehead. If you don't care, you don't research it, right? And so, so when CNN releases that, it's just the same thing over and over again. Like, these are really things we already know. So that's why in the work that I do, even before I, I started 365 Diversity, as a professor in North Carolina, I spent most of my time in communities, and I had my students do community work for some of my courses. And I just always explain, I want y'all to get beyond memorizing stuff in books, memorizing theories and, and sitting in the classroom. To me, I don't value education that's based on you all regurgitating stuff and you're not able to connect it to your life and to what's happening in the real world. And I told them this, I said, you know, as a criminologist, I teach about crime. I teach about the problems with police. Some of my former students are police officers, but I don't want y'all going into black communities talking about a particular theory, like as conflict theory says, our people don't need to hear about that theory. Like we come from, you know, there's many, many theories for thousands of years around the world. That's not action. And right. so whenever there's a new news story, like even when I get interviewed for news articles, I always say, okay, another article, but <laughs> it will still end up with people pretending they don't already know. And that's oftentimes how they do trainings as well, where they really want you to come into these equity trainings, given this surface level explanation. And, and I say, after a while, you all have to do this part on your own. That's why I tell people, I say, all right, here's some things that I want you all to read. So by the time you get to me at this training on this date, I'm not going to give you a definition of racism. I'm not going to give you a definition of sexism, any of that. Instead, I'm talking about how does this manifest in your school business organization? How does it manifest where you live in your household, in your community, in your medical facility that you go to? How does this manifest so that we can actually talk about making some changes beyond just yelling at Black people to vote? Like changes. And also, that's also one of my pet peeves where People yell at black people to vote. People yell at black people to take the COVID vaccine. But when we say let's have discussions, most people, including most black people, disappear. And that's centuries of people yelling at black people instead of actually engaging in discussions and talking about we have five centuries of reasons not to trust medical and health professionals. So if we're going to get vaccinated, let's have discussions about how black organizations can come together to make sure our people are treated well by medical and health professionals. If we're gonna talk about voting, let's talk about how we're gonna get a collective 
to make sure that these politicians know that we're actually going to do quality assurance. We're not going to just join your campaigns, march behind you and scream on your behalf and then allow you to disappear, making 250000 a year while we're still struggling. And then you putting up posters on our communities. Let's let's talk about those collections and collaborations instead of our people always being told to be smiley, happy, like we were told throughout slavery. So that's a whole entire process. Couldn't agree with you more. We only have about, oh my goodness, 30 seconds remaining. <laughs> so powerful. <laughs> that was quick. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Our final segment is, is shorter than our first, um, but it's definitely a pleasure, Dr. Kimia. And I hope that we can continue this conversation um, as you eloquently highlighted. This work is ongoing. Um, it is not a, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an ongoing work. <laughs> and I just want to say work. Yeah, I just want to say accountability. So we hold ourselves, each other accountable. Black people criticize Black-owned businesses a lot, but white-owned and Asian diaspora-owned oftentimes will have horrible customer service and Black people tend not to file a complaint against these businesses. So accountability is important. And also, if your school is doing the wrong thing, if your employer is doing the wrong thing, they have no incentive to change if you're going to be there the next day regardless. Yeah, that's huge. I want to thank you again, Dr. Kenya. Um, 365diversity.com. 365diversity.com for more information on Dr. Kenya's work. Uh, maybe your community could benefit from uh, some additional training, empowerment. Uh, by all means, reach out. This show is brought to you by the consulting services of Positive Vibes Incorporated. We do credit fixes, we do debt restructuring, and we put money in the pockets of real estate investors. So give us a call. We can fix your credit. We can restructure your debt. And if you're a real estate investor, I would love to put thousands of dollars into your pockets. 757-932-0177. That's 757-932-0177. Phenomenal. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Hey, yo, when I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black Wall Street. When I say black.